Good morning, everyone. If you're having trouble finding it, because it's only one page long, in the plain Bible, it's on page 654, and in the one with the fancy Holy Bible on the front, it's page 927. Jonah chapter 2, entitled Jonah's Prayer. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swelled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, my, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, in the Plain Bibles, page 690 or page 978. This is entitled, The Sign of Jonah, verse 38. And some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And he answered, a wicked and adulterous nation asks for a miracle sign, but none will be given in except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Thank you. I'm going to be uh, talking about Jonah chapter 2, so if you want to open that in your Bibles, that would be great. Um, I'm going to be dipping into Matthew 12, but uh, majority from Jonah, Jonah chapter 2. Everyone loves a good rescue story, don't they? Growing up, I loved watching the series Police Rescue. Does anyone remember that one? Yeah, yeah, okay. And when I was even younger, the American TV show TJ Hooker. Does anyone remember that one? Yeah, William Shatner. But those stories were fake. Yeah, that's true. They were fake. Real rescues, real rescues are the events that really captivate us, that really captivate a nation. Like the Beaconsfield Mine Rescue. Remember the TV just playing that mine shaft and we're just watching, hoping, waiting that someday the lift will come up? <sighs> or the two sailors adrift in the Southern Ocean and we're just looking at these maps and knowing that out there there's a boat overturned and two sailors just waiting for rescue from the uh, Australian Navy. 
But when it comes to recent rescue stories, the pinnacle has to be that Thai cave rescue, doesn't it? Goodness me. A a soccer team of 12 young boys and their coach trapped for weeks in a cave by rising floodwaters until they were rescued by an international team of experts led by the Australians, two Australians, Richard Harris and Craig Challen. What a relief to see those boys come out alive one by one. Mothers were watching the TV, crying for those boys and then crying when they came out. The rest of us wondering how we would cope if we were like them, trapped or were still called on to go and rescue them. Could we do it? Everyone loves a great rescue story. And Jonah's rescue story is just as gripping. We can benefit from the lessons that Jonah learns too. For in this rescue story, Jonah learns and recognises that rescue comes from God. Let's have a look from verse 1 of chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. No, we'll stop there. From inside the fish? You can't actually talk much about chapter 2 without first talking about the elephant in the room. Well, not elephant, but big, big fish. A huge fish that greets you in the first words of verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. In 1891, a sailor, James Bartley, was in a boat launched from the whaling ship, the Star of the East, when a whale that he was hunting smashed into his boat. Another sailor was killed and Bartley was presumed to have drowned. They couldn't find his body. The sailors did haul in that whale and started chopping it up as they were wont to do. When they got to the belly of the whale some 36 hours later, they noticed some movement. I pick up the story from the account that made it into the 1896 New York World newspaper. The workmen were startled. The vast pouch was hoisted to the deck and cut open and inside was found the missing sailor, doubled up and unconscious. He was laid out on the deck and treated to a bath of seawater, which soon revived him. But it wasn't until the end of the third week that he had finally recovered from the shock and resumed his duties. Now there's a rescue story, one for the ages. And for decades, that story has been used to justify the Jonah passage as not only possible, but also true. Unfortunately, the James Bartley story has been debunked as nothing more than an old fishing tale. The fish, it turns out, just got bigger and bigger as the years went on. Scientists tell us that while a whale's esophagus is big enough for a man to pass in, should he be scooped up by the whale, the stomach is not full of oxygen. No, it's full of methane, which you can't breathe. And unlike, well, for those of you who might remember the Pinocchio movie, where Pinocchio was able to set a fire in the big cavern of the whale's belly and cause the whale to sneeze. And No, no. The whale's stomach is so small that it would not be a cave. 
It will be a much tighter fit. And lighting a fire in a cavity filled with methane is not a great idea. It's the easiest way to ensure you go out with a bang. Literally. A whale's stomach would be cramped, congested, and I didn't mention full of digestive acids. What a terrible way to go out. Put simply, to survive three days in the belly of any known sea creature would be nothing short of supernatural. A human impossibility. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean it didn't happen to Jonah. The Bible is full of human impossibilities, miracles, that are held up as true historical, actual accounts. The superhuman strength of Samson. The pregnancy of Abraham's wife, Sarah, even though she was well past the age of having children. The pregnancy of Mary, even though she'd never been with a man. The restoration of sight to a man born blind. God is more than capable of performing these superhuman, supernatural, miraculous feats. Look at the way Jonah 1, verse 17, the verse just before our chapter, puts it, The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. You see, this event is specially directed and ordained and facilitated and done by God. Jonah's time in the whale might be hard to believe. It might be more than what our experience proves. But that doesn't prevent God from doing it. How else is God going to save him anyway? The ship has just left without him. It threw him overboard and submarines didn't exist back then. The fish is God's rescue vessel. Our God works miracles. That's even how Jesus describes the event, did you see, in Matthew 12, as a sign, a miracle. We'll come back to Jesus later, but for now, even Jesus attests to the fact that Jonah was swallowed by the fish and spent three days inside. A historical event and a miraculous one at that. But with all this worry about the whale, fretting about the fish, we miss something important in the first couple of verses. It's establishing Jonah's prayer. Look at verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you, Lord, listened to my cry. So, verses 1 and 2 helps us pick up two important points that might have been missed if we'd just been worrying about the whale. First, Jonah prayed from inside the fish's belly. You might have noticed it's not till verse 10 that Jonah is spat out or vomited out, as Deb helpfully pointed out. But here in verse 2, Jonah is already praying a prayer of praise to God in past tense. God rescued me. As verse 2 reads, we're to understand that God has already answered Jonah's prayer, even though Jonah is inside the fish. 
Jonah has already been rescued. What could this mean? There's two ways of thinking this through. One is that Jonah is just super confident, like those boxers you see on TV. Oh, yeah, I've already won. I'm the champion, even though the bout is still a week away. Or like we might say, oh, it's in the bag, mate. Or you could bank on it. We're so confident about something happening that we talk about it in the past tense as though it's already happened. Is that why Jonah can say, I was rescued, even though he's still in the fish? I think there's a better way of interpreting Jonah's use of past tense, which is that for Jonah, the fish is not the drama, the fish is the rescue. When the Lord sent a fish to swallow Jonah, the Lord rescued Jonah from death, rescued him from sinking in the watery deep, alone, drowning, hopeless. Rescued him from that. The fish is the rescue vessel. So even though Jonah is still in the fish, Jonah is able to praise his God for the rescue that's already taken place. The rescue from certain death. This makes more sense as we see how Jonah's prayer continues. From verse 3, let's check whether he's describing the drama of being in the fish or the drama of drowning. Verse 3. You hurled me into the deep into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. What did you conclude? That Jonah is describing the drama of being constricted in the whale or the drama of drowning in the depths of the sea? He mentions being caught up in the deep, in the sea, currents, waves, the engulfing water, seaweed and sinking to the roots of the mountains. He's very much describing the torment of drowning. What are we to make of this rescue? Jonah's prayer reflects that God has already saved him from certain death, already saved him from drowning. The rescue, past tense, has already happened. Jonah was sinking to the bottom of the ocean. It was his own fault, mind you. He's only got himself to blame. He was on the run from God, trying to escape to Spain, and now he's in the middle of the ocean, alone and sinking. But God rescued him. And from inside the fish, despite the constricting difficulty, he's rejoicing, rejoicing in his salvation. I recently read about a man who had a serious infection in his leg. The infection, doctors told him, was life-threatening. But this man was a father who very much loved his kids and wanted to see them grow up, wanted to be around to help them. 
The doctors told him they could save his life, but they'd have to take the leg off. Sign me up, the man said, without a moment's thought. He wanted to be rescued from death, and so they did it. And the man was rescued. And then came the crutches, the wheelchair, the prosthetic leg. The man may have been rescued, but that didn't mean he was going to be guaranteed of being comfortable, although he did get to see his kids again. It's the same for Jonah. Jonah was sinking and he was rescued. In the belly of the fish, Jonah is aware that there's still a lot of room for improvement. But Jonah is aware that God has control because God has rescued him. And so Jonah praises God. He's been saved. I take a lot of inspiration from seeing Jonah praise God, even though his circumstances are supremely difficult. But what I also take comfort uh, from here is reading how Jonah recounts his trauma, his ordeal. Jonah speaks to God about what he's been through, about his difficulty. Yes, it's right to praise God when we're saved from death. But it's also okay to tell God about the difficulty we've been through, the difficulty we're going through. It's okay for you to tell God about the emotional scars you still bear. Jonah's not complaining, but he's not dismissing it, overlooking it either. He's being real with God about the experience he went through, the hopelessness he felt before he was rescued. I take comfort in that because I can do the same. And when someone has had a near-death experience, they've usually got a lesson to share, haven't they? Perhaps you've had a friend who survived a car crash or survived a heart attack and they tell you that they see things in a different light now. Make every day count, they might tell you. Eat that second donut. Eat more ice cream. Yeah, that's what I would do. Hug your kids. That's what they might tell you. Do what you love, they might say. It's no different for Jonah. Saved from death, Jonah is ready to share his wisdom too. Let's have a look from verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's the pinnacle of Jonah's lessons. That profound statement of verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah was down and out. As good as gone. His only hope for salvation was a miraculous rescue, 11th hour rescue from none other but the hand of God. And that's what he got. Jonah knew firsthand that there comes a time when you can do nothing to save yourself. Nothing. 
And that's when you have to rely solely on the miraculous rescue of God. Salvation comes from the Lord. Now, salvation is a pretty loaded word in the Bible. It means rescue. It means help. And when it's used in the Bible, most often salvation is an act of God. That's exactly the way it applies here. God has provided salvation to Jonah, the Old Testament prophet. But there's something else we know that the Old Testament prophets hadn't yet fully seen. When they speak wisdom about God, they may have had a particular situation in mind, but there's even more significance in what Jonah says. In talking about his salvation from drowning, the word Jonah uses, the word Jonah uses is where we get the root word Yeshua, which we also know is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Yeshua, meaning the Lord saves. The fact the connection with Jesus Uh, exists here through that word is actually even more profound because Jesus himself talks about Jonah in an even more meaningful way. In Matthew 12, which we read from, Jesus' opponents ask for him to do a sign, a miracle, and he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The Son of Man is Jesus' way of referring to himself. Jesus, talking about his own death, says that his death is going to be even more miraculous, even more astounding than Jonah's miraculous rescue from death via the belly of a whale. That's a significant link to draw. Not only because Jesus is confirming that Jonah's story is actual, is true, his rescue happened, but Jesus is also saying that what is to come is even more astounding. A lot of our descriptions about Jesus' death have similarities in Jonah. When Jonah says in verse 6, God brought his life up out of the pit, that's even more significantly fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus died and was buried in the pit, in the tomb, in the belly of the earth. But God brought his life up from the pit. When Jonah says in verse 4, I have been banished from your sight, you only get a small taste of the agony that Jesus must have felt on the cross, abandoned by God, that would lead him to cry out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, abandoned me? And in verse 9, when Jonah says, I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, That idea of sacrifice is also fulfilled in Jesus, who sacrificed himself on the cross, sacrificed himself for you and for me. Because, you see, without Jesus, we're just like Jonah in the ocean, sinking down, 
sinking towards our death. Nothing we could do to save ourselves. Our sins and faults, your sins and faults, my sins and faults, leave us guilty before God the judge. And we have no way of rescuing that fateful situation. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But God made us alive in Christ. Like Jonah, we could do nothing to save ourselves and what it took was a miraculous 11th hour rescue at the hand of God. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death, And his resurrection from the belly of the earth paved the way for you also to be raised up from the depths and restored to life, real life. And not just life in this world, but life eternal. It's a much more complete fulfillment of that word in Jonah. Salvation for you and for me comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. While Jonah is still in the fish, remember those sailors that cast him overboard and were praying to their gods? Those sailors are now thanking God for calming the storm. The sailors had been put to shame for trying to trust in their idols and they've come face to face with the living God, the real God. Jesus couldn't have, oh, Jesus. Jonah couldn't have known about the sailors and their conversion because he had other problems. But Jonah's now learnt the same lesson, lesson two, in verse eight. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Jonah's lesson is for those of us who would try to find meaning and significance in anything other than God. If you're sinking into death like Jonah was, there's no point clinging to money. Gold is just going to weigh you down. If you're sinking into death like Jonah was, there's no point clinging to your status in the community, your fortune or fame, uh, or even to your status as a parent or a worker. Those things are not going to save you. An idol is anything that would take your trust away from where it belongs, God. An idol is something you trust in God's place. And if you cling to these worthless idols, if you don't trust fully in God, will you forfeit the salvation that comes from the Lord and that can be found nowhere else? You forfeit the gift of salvation that God freely offers to those who trust in him. Jonah had to learn this the hard way, but he was left with no doubt that God alone could save him. So learn from Jonah and turn instead to Christ. How can we apply Jonah's situation to our lives? Jonah knew he was saved 
Jonah knew salvation comes from the Lord. Do you know that? Do you know that for sure? Jonah had been rescued from death, but he was still in discomfort. And so might you be. If we trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, the salvation that comes from the Lord, the rescue has already happened. You are rescued from death, from drowning, and saved because salvation comes from the Lord. And so you can praise God for rescuing you, even though your life is uncomfortable and constricting and difficult. Life is still uncomfortable this side of heaven. There is sickness. There is disaster, poverty, difficulty. And sometimes it feels like those things are too much to bear. But let us learn from Jonah and focus on the Lord and on his salvation and not so much on our discomfort. Let us remember that our rescue has already come. It's in the bag. You can bank on it. So let us develop joy, not by trusting in the things of this world, but by trusting in our Saviour and living our whole lives in thanksgiving to him. Let us recount our salvation story to God in prayer and to others in witness. And despite any discomfort we currently feel, let us tell of our amazing rescue from death by none other than the hand of the Lord our God through his Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's pray about that now. Heavenly Father, salvation is found in you alone. Lord, we were drowning and dead in our transgressions and sins, but you made us alive in Christ. Salvation comes from you, God. And Lord, we are uncomfortable in this frail body racked with difficulty and sickness and poverty and from time to time temptation and sin. But Lord, you have rescued us. And Lord, praise be to your name for what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.